we've been preaching about on Sunday mornings. How many have enjoyed the past few weeks about revival? And we're going to do part three today. We're going to start kind of with our theme verse. It's Acts 3 and verse 19. In, I believe, the Weymouth translation, Acts 3 and verse 19. It says, repent, therefore, and reform your lives so that the record of your sins may be canceled and that there may come seasons of revival from the Lord. I love that. It says, repent, therefore, and reform your life so that the record of your sin may be canceled, that there may become seasons of revival. Other translations say seasons of refreshing from the Lord. And I believe that's what, what, what God wants to do in us, in our personal lives, in this church, in this nation, really, and in this world. We're set up for the perfect time for revival. Now, if you were here the past few weeks, I talked about that, about why it's such a great time for revival because most revivals have started in a time that there was a lot of pressure, that there was a lot of uh, things going on in the world. There was a lot of uh, issues happening. There was a lot of hardships. There was a lot of suffering. A lot of times, some of the greatest revivals were birthed out of those seasons. So that's why I know that we're set up for a perfect time for a season of revival. But notice it says, repent therefore and reform your lives so that the record of your sin will be canceled, that seasons of revival will come from the presence of the Lord. So today, if you're taking notes, I want to talk about the essentials of revival. The essentials of revival. And today's going to kind of be a combo message. You got two for the price of one this morning. Combination message. Because I want to share... Six things, but I want to talk about the first three things are things that would stop a revival in our lives and in a church. And then I'm going to talk about three things that we should have and that we should value to have revival. So, so the first three things are things that are essential that we don't do these things and we stay away from them. Because it will stop revival in our lives. And the last three things I'm going to talk about are things that we need in our life and in our church that we should value to have revival. So we're going to talk about the essentials of revival. Now we know about essentials because essential workers are essential. Why? Because they're, they're vital. That means they're very important. That means that if we don't have them, then this country will fall apart or our Community will fall apart. Our people will fall apart because we need them. There's essential workers. How many know the church is essential? The move of God is essential. Having church community is essential. And the things I'm going to talk about today are essential. That means they're important. They're vital. And if we don't have them, we will not have revival. So the first three things are things that we should stop doing. They will hinder revival. And the last three, three things are things that we need as individuals, but as a church, we need to value for revival. Okay, you ready for this? Okay. The first thing I want to talk about today on the three things that would hinder or stop revival are things that are not just in the Bible, but you study the history of revival, you see these patterns. So all the things I'm going to share with you today are, first of all, from the Word of God, but they're also studying the history revival, we should get a clue on what works and what doesn't work. On things that have stopped moves of God and things that have started moves of God. On things that have hindered moves of God, on things that have propelled moves of God forward. So we can learn a lot, not just from the word, of course, but studying the history of revival. So the first thing that will stop or hinder revival in your life is pride. Let's turn to James 4 and verse 6. James 4 and verse 6. It says, but he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. How many know that sounds good? More and more grace. For it says, God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. Notice that God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. Isn't that good? Because it talks about here that if we want to receive from God, we can't come to him in a prideful way. That the only way we're going to receive more grace, and grace is God's ability, 
The only way we're going to receive more grace and, and more movement of God in our life is this, if we are humble. It says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now you realize in the Bible, this is quoted several other times because if God says it once, it's important. But if he says it multiple times, it's really, really important. And there's something that God is attracted to, and that's humility. I'm going to need you to help me about a hundred times better this morning, church. There's something that God loves more than anything else, and that's humility. And there's something that God despises more than anything else, and that's pride. Now, pride is the original sin. Pride is the sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Because Satan said, I will exalt my throne. I will do this. I will do that. I don't need you, God. I've already grown enough. I've already changed enough. I've already accomplished everything enough. I am my own God, and I can do my own thing. And pride was the original sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. But how many know it's the same sin that we deal with, and that's the same issue, pride. Sin starts with pride. Anytime we choose to go our own way and do our own things and do the exact opposite of what God has called us to do or told us to do, it's pride because we think we know better when we don't. And so pride was the same issue Adam and Eve had. They said, God, we got this. You're holding us back. You're restricting us. You're judging us. We, we got this, God. And they sinned and they fell. And so pride is the number one thing that keeps people out of revival. Because God, notice he resists the proud. Now how can you receive from God if God's resisting you? And that's not even God's fault. Your pride is keeping a barrier between you and God. In the same way, when we come to God for salvation, we have to let go of our pride to receive salvation, don't we? We have to say, God, I'm wrong. I have sinned, and I need your help. But until we say that, God resists the proud. But when we say, God, I need your help, I'm wrong, I'm not my own God, I can't do it, it says he gives grace to the humble. Then he can move in your life. Then he can change things in your life. Then he can, he can move things around in your life when you are humble enough to admit you need help. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is the opposite of pride. And the verses we just read at the beginning of this service said, Repent, therefore, and be converted. Repent, therefore, and reform your lives. How many know if you're in pride, you will never repent? Never. Meaning you will never get into revival. <laughs> Meaning you will never get into the move of God. Meaning God will never do anything in your life because of your own stubbornness and your own free will, and your own pride, because God resists the proud, but he gives grace or ability to the humble. And we see that we will never have revival because pride will never repent. So the number one thing that will stop or hinder revival in your life, these are essential, is pride. We need to walk humbly before God and each other. We need to be, you've heard dad say this many times, quick to repent and quick to forgive. That's humble. Quick to say you're sorry. Quick to say I'm wrong. Quick to say, God, I can change. And you know what? God will move in a life like that because he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride will hinder the move of God in your life. We will never repent if we're prideful. And let's be careful in here because a lot of us in here have been in church a long time. Not everybody. So there's a tendency for you to get into a category that says, I know that verse. 
I've experienced 95, 96, 97, 98. But what has God done since then in your life? It's a long time ago. A lot of us in here, the pride is not because we're just a sinner on the outside and we say, God, we need to forgive us because we've been a prodigal son and we're coming back home. We're in the house. And we think we're good. We think we know it all now. I've experienced God now. I've been in the things of God now. I know the verses. I know the worship. I have the time with God. But are you prideful about it? Because you don't know it all. None of us do. I don't care if you've read this Bible all the way through every day of your life. You still don't know it all. You still don't understand it all. You still don't know everything about God. You still have not experienced all that God has for you. You still have more that you can get from him in worship. There's still so much more in prayer. There's still so much more in the Bible. And you will be learning not just in this lifetime, but for all eternity. Lest we think with our finite human brains that we've figured out God. When he's infinite and eternal. And we think, are we good? We got this. I've been in church a long time. I get it. No, it's pride. And God cannot move in your life when you are prideful. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's why... In the Gospels, you see that Jesus would always say, you got to come to me with childlike faith. Because that's humility. That's humility. To say, God, I want to know more. I want to experience more. I don't know it all. I haven't experienced it all. There's so much more for you, and I want it. And it takes some effort. Hear me, church. For you to be like that your whole life. It takes some, some passion and, and some dealing with your heart for you to be like that, especially if you've known God for a while or you've been in church a while and you're so familiar with it. Pride will resist the move of God in your life and revival. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, I'm only 33 years old, but I've been in church all 33 and nine months of those life. I've probably been in more church services than I can imagine. I feel really old spiritually, even though I'm only 33. But you got to keep your hunger and you got to keep your passion. And you got to realize no matter how old you are in here, whether you're 33 or 93 or 53, that there is more to know about God. Come on now, somebody. There is more to experience with God. There is more things that God wants to do in your life. There is more that God wants to do in your church. It can be greater and better than you've ever experienced. I don't care if you've been in God 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. There is more to know. There is more places to grow. There is more that you can receive in worship. There is more you can receive in your word. There's more areas of prayer you can get into. There's so much more. Let's not settle for less. Come on now. Then God created us to have because of pride. I'm good. The Bible says pride comes before a fall. That's what happened to the devil. As soon as he had that idea, bam, got knocked right out of heaven. Because he said, I got this. I can do this. I don't need you, God. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So pride, it's the number one thing that will keep us out and stop the move of God, revival in our lives. Second thing is distractions. Well, if you can't say amen, say oh me. 1 Corinthians 7.35. 1 Corinthians 7.35, it says, And this I say for your own profit. Notice the apostle Paul is trying to help this church. Not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Let's look at the Passion Translation. I am trying to help you. 
That's what I'm trying to do this morning as your pastor. I am trying to help you and make things easier for you and not make things difficult, but so that you would have undistracted devotion, serving the Lord constantly with an undivided heart. So the second thing I want to talk to you about that will stop or hinder the move of God or revival in your life is distractions. This passage here says, I want to make things easier on you. I want you to serve God without distractions. I want you to serve the Lord with an undistracted heart and mind. I want you to attend upon the Lord without distraction. Now, let's put this in context. If Paul said to the Corinthians 2,000 years ago, when there was not a lot of distractions, to attend upon the Lord without distraction, woo! Are we in a special place right now? Because we live in the most distracted time and age there has ever been. If 2,000-some years ago the, the Apostle Paul said, I want to make things easier on you, I want you to serve the Lord undistracted. I want you to serve the Lord with no distractions. I want you to give your heart to him th that you're undivided and you're undistracted 2,000 years ago. We're going to have to make some effort to not live distracted. But distraction will keep you out of revival. We live in the most distracted age there has ever been, especially in the past 100 years. Do you realize that technology, computers, iPods, iPhones have completely rewired your brain, not for the positive, for the negative? They've proven that it's rewired your brain so much that the attention span you used to have 50 years ago or 100 years ago, it's nothing at all. Because smartphones and technology have so rewired your brain, you cannot attend to anything without distraction. And I know it's a great resource, and I know I have this issue too. That's why I'm talking about it. But it has rewired our brain to the point that we cannot focus on anything for any period of time. We don't have attention spans like we used to at all. We are so distracted, we can never even spend a moment with God. I mean, we might be able to spend a moment with him, but it's not an undistracted moment or an undivided moment. And God says, if I'm going to be able to move in your life and have revival, you need to serve me and have devotional time with me that is undistracted. So if we're distracted all the time, how could God ever do anything in our life? If we're distracted all the time, how could we ever hear the voice of God? If we're distracted all the time, how could God ever move in our life and change things in our life and us have revival personally if we live distracted? Now, I'm not saying if you live distracted, all of us are already living distracted. That's why this passage in, in 1 Corinthians 7.35, he, he tells his church and pleads with them, I'm trying to help you, church. I want you to serve the Lord without distractions. Because distractions will keep you out of the purpose and plan of God. Distractions will keep you out of your prayer closet. Mm -mm. Distractions will keep you away from your devotional time. Distractions will keep you away from your worship time. Distractions will keep you away from the quiet time you need to have with God so you can actually get back to the real stuff of life. And instead, we're distracted with less important things that will not matter in eternity. A lot of times, they won't even matter next week. And we are distracted by far lesser things. So am I. But if we're going to have revival, 
one of the main ways it stops or it's hindered in our lives is distractions. We don't put away things that are hurting our spiritual life. We don't put away things that are hurting our spiritual health. We don't we choose things that are far lesser than the presence of God because of distraction. So we can't focus anymore because our brain has been rewired by this smartphone that's supposed to help us, but it's actually hurting us. Do you realize the technology companies that you think are helping you already have a plan and it's already working? Do you realize Facebook is not your friend? Instagram is not your friend. Twitter is not your friend. All the apps on your phone are not your friend. You know why? Because they pay people a lot of money to figure out how to keep you on that device as long as possible so they get more money. They're not there to help you express your feelings. They're not help, helping you c- connect with people socially. They're there to conform you. Come on now, I ain't preaching no conspiracy theory. This is the truth. They're there to rewire your brain so you need it just like you need a drug. And we've all fallen for it. And we live distracted. All right now, somebody, you can say amen even when your toes are getting stepped on. Let me tell you how bad this is with distraction. Can I, can I do that for a second? I saw an article recently that there is an actual physical and mental syndrome called phantom ringing syndrome. Also called phantom vibration syndrome. I'll tell you what that is. There has been a bunch of college students that started going to a doctor because they thought their phone was ringing and it wasn't. These college students went to a doctor because they thought their phone was vibrating and it wasn't. But their brain and our brains have been so rewired and so distracted, they were hearing rings that didn't even happen. They were hearing vibrations in their pocket that didn't even happen. And they were having a physical and mental issue because of it. Some of you in here have already experienced that. There's an actual name for the phobia and the anxiety that it causes. That's how bad we're living in a day of distraction. And, and, and we're just like, uh, was, a, was a guy, Pavlov's dog. They rang the bell and he started. <laughs> That's how bad we are with our phone. We heard a ding. <laughs> oh, nobody called me. Vibration on text. Who is it? Uh, nobody texts me, actually. I heard a beep. That must be my Snapchat. Oh, no, that was, that was just the washer and dryer downstairs. So distracted. We're living in the day and age of distraction. So we're talking about people are actually going to the doctor. Because our brains have been so rewired by technology. And unless you're living in a cave, your brain has already been rewired to this. I tell you, I've experienced this before with the ringing thing. There's been times in my room, I thought I heard my phone ring and looked at it, and it was nobody. I was like, thanks a lot. Thought somebody called me. Or I thought I heard my text message thing. It's happened to me. But that's the day and age we live in with distraction. If we're like that with our smartphones, we're like that with everything else. So how could we ever attend upon the Lord without distraction? That verse almost seems laughable in this day and age. But it's not if we make a choice, if we make a commitment, if we decide what's really important to my life, to my church, to my family. For me to become, here's something, the man and woman of God I want to be, 
I got to live undistracted. I got to live undivided. I got to live focused on what's really important in my life. Not saying I'm going to throw away my phone and my computer and everything else and never watch TV ever again. But it wouldn't hurt to cut way back on it. It wouldn't hurt to shut off your phone so you can actually hear the voice of God. It wouldn't hurt to shut off Netflix after you've already watched five seasons in one night. Because those same people say, well, I don't have any time to spend with God. Well, you just finished 10 seasons of The Office last week, so you put in at least a good 100 hours. But I, I don't have time for God or church. Y'all want this or not? <laughs> so distraction will stop and hinder revival in our life. I was thinking about this because it doesn't stop with the phone. Distractions come with our phone, but with everything else that goes with it. We live in a day and an age of endless choices. And that's not a good thing. It sounds like a good thing on paper, but it's not. Now, let me take you back a little bit. Can I take you back to the old school? Even though I'm 33 years old, there was a time and a day that when, when you wanted to listen to music, you bought a record. And when they first came out with records, it had one song on it. Not many choices. One song. And, and then they put out the bigger records that there was an actual full album on it. But you couldn't just play it anywhere. You had to have a record player. So if you wanted to listen to music, you didn't have many choices. You had whatever records you had. Then they came out with a cassette tape. And a cassette tape you could put in your vehicle. But you couldn't just flip to the next song. You had to press fast forward to get to the song you wanted to. Or you had to press rewind to get to the song you wanted to. But it was still limited. Because you could only fit so many cassette tapes in your little cassette holder that went in your truck. 10, 15, 20. Then they came out with CDs. But we live in a day of endless choices, and it keeps us endlessly distracted. And I was thinking about this. We came from those times to now today on Apple Music, which I have on my phone. There is 50 million songs. 50 million songs. And we think that's helping us, but it's actually hurting us. Because with endless choices comes endless distractions. And I know this technology is there to help us, which it is to some level, but it's also hurting us at the same time. Because with endless choices comes endless distractions. We went from one album or one CD to 50 million songs on your phone for only $10.99 a month. Think about movies. You used to have to have VHS. What you had was what you had. There's only a few channels on the TV. Now there's hundreds of channels. Now you can get Netflix and Disney Plus and Apple TV and Hulu and Sling TV and YouTube TV. Endless choices means endless distractions. Are you hearing me this morning? I know I'm stepping on your toe. I'm stepping on mine too. There I go. I'm stepping on it right now. I'm not bashing all these things because I have it. I have Netflix. I have Disney Plus. I have Apple Music. I use technology all the time. It helps me, but it also hurts me, and I'm aware of that. Because a lot of times it keeps me away from the presence of God. A lot of times it keeps me so distracted I can't meditate like I should. It keeps me so distracted I can't pray like I should sometimes. It keeps me so distracted I can't worship like I should sometimes. And I'm saying if I deal that with that as your pastor, you deal with it too. So we have endless choices, but endless choices is actually 
endless distractions, endless anxiety, endless depression. Because we never get to what's important. Do you realize some people numb themselves with drugs because they don't want to think about their life? But us modern people, we numb ourselves with our smartphones so we don't have to think about our lives. We numb ourselves with Facebook and Instagram so we don't have to think about our lives. We numb ourselves with Netflix so we don't have to think about our lives. We numb ourselves with Disney Plus so we don't have to think about our lives. We numb ourselves with Apple Music so we don't have to think about the real issues in our life. Are you here this morning? It's no difference. Just one's illegal and one's legal, but it's doing the same thing. It's doing the same thing to your brain and it's doing the same thing to your heart. So we need to attend upon the Lord without distraction. So distraction will keep us out of the move of God. Distractions will keep us out of revival. You still here? So I'm going to make a plea with you before I go to the third point on what stops survival. We all have this issue. I just grouped us all in this together. We all do. Don't make a drastic step tomorrow because you'll have withdrawal symptoms. You will. You're going to be ringing and buzzing in your head all day. <laughs> what am I hearing? I need to check my phone. No. I'm saying for all of us, let's commit to cutting back on our movie time. Let's commit to cutting back on our music time. Let's commit to cutting back on our time on our phone, our screen time. And not just cutting back, but replacing that time with God. In his word. In prayer. Even talking to a good fellow believer in here that would encourage your faith. Let's make that commitment. Can we make that commitment today? It sounds a little bit easier when you're in service, but when you walk out of here, you're going to feel that pull. I'm just saying, don't do something drastic to yourself tomorrow. You will have withdrawal symptoms. I'm not even joking. Baby steps. But if we want revival, we're going to have to eliminate distraction. Okay, third thing, tradition. Tradition will stop the move of God in your life. Mark 7, 13. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own traditions. And this is only one example of many others. So notice what Jesus is saying here. You cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. Pride will keep you out of revival. Distraction will keep you out of revival. But the third and last part of this I want to share with you is tradition will keep you out of revival. Traditions are not wrong if they're based on the word. But how many know a lot of times there's a lot of things that have been handed down to us that are not God? And they're tradition. Some spiritual and some not spiritual. They've been handed down to you by your school you went to or your family you came from or the neighborhood you grew up in or the church you went to. And you need to run all those things through the word of God because the Bible says that you can make the word of God of no effect. You can cancel the word of God. You can cancel what God wants to do in your life because of traditions. Do you realize that every great denomination that we have today, which are hundreds, started in revival? Every great move of God in denomination started in revival. The Baptist, the Methodist, the Lutheran, you name them, they started in revival. But what happened? I'm not saying every church since a denomination is, is not in revival, but a lot aren't because of tradition. 
They started in a move of God, but then they stopped somewhere along the line and made their traditions more important than the move of God. They made their traditions more important than God doing something new. They made their traditions more important than the move of the Spirit. They made their traditions more important than what God wanted to do. And so every denomination started in revival, but most denominations stopped. And a lot of denominations today are dead because tradition. They moved with God, but then they didn't keep moving with God. And so they didn't have revival anymore. The, the famous last words of a dying church is, we have always done it this way. And I'm going to say something to you today because people in our camp and our company, we pride ourselves in not being a denominational church. We pride ourselves in not being like every other church, which is true. But word of faith, spirit-filled people like we are have our own traditions that are not the word of God too. And it will stop us from the future move of God that God wants to do because of our traditions. Most word of faith, I'm going to say it because I'm the pastor. Spirit-filled churches are still trying to operate their church like a 1980s camp meeting when it's 2020. That's 40 years ago. I'm not saying the word, but I'm saying the methods, the traditions. The way they do their worship, 40 years ago. The way they dress, 40 years ago. The way they explain the Bible to people 40 years ago. And they think they're current and they think they're moving with the word of God because actually the message they're preaching is right, but they got a lot of traditions with it that are stopping the move of God from their church. That are actually stopping new people who want the message to be able to feel comfortable in that church because of traditions. All right, I'll go back to quarantine. It's true. We can make the word of God of no effect and cancel it out because of our traditions. Pride will stop it. Distractions will stop it. But traditions will stop it. I love this. Dr. Lester Sumrall, who is a spiritual, really great grandfather to this house, said this. When he was 80 plus years old, Coming back from a revival in China, he said, God, whatever you are doing, I want to be a part of it. Whoever it separates me from, I'm okay with it. Whoever it takes me to, I'm okay with it. I want to be a part of what you are doing. He would say, whatever church it is, I'm going to go with it. Whatever group it is, I'm going to go with it. Whatever denomination it is, if is, I'm going to go with it. Like he said, if the Baptists have the move of God, I'm going to become a Baptist. If the Pentecostals have a move of God, I'm going to become a Pentecostals. If the Catholics have a move of God, I'm going to become Catholic. Whatever God is doing, I want to be a part of it, not based on what group I'm in or denomination I'm in or what tradition I belong to. I want God more than that. So yes, we are a word of faith church. We are a spirit-filled church. But if other churches that are like us think Church on the Rock is getting a little different now, they're a little edgy now, they change some things up now, I don't care. We ain't edgy. We took the flowers off the platform. That's all we did. We added a podcast. I'm just saying there's way more changes to come in the future. There's way more traditions to change in the future. There's way more things that God wants to do in the future. Don't get stuck. Because we can make the word of God of no effect because our tradition. 
you got to ask yourself sometimes, why do you think the way you do about stuff? Is that the Bible? Or is it just your tradition? A lot of times it's usually your tradition. All right, you still here? Pastor's a little wild today. Yes, I am. These are essentials to revival that will stop it from our lives. Pride, distractions, and traditions. But we have to have that attitude that Dr. Summerall said. God, whatever you're doing, I'm going to be a part of it. I don't care what church it is. I don't care what group it is. I don't care what denomination it is. God, I want to be a part of it. And absolutely, we were always going to be a faith, spirit-filled church. That's our roots. That's what we believe. And that's the Bible. But everything else is up for change. Everything else is on the table. I'd rather see people saved than have tradition. I'd rather see people delivered than have tradition. I'd rather see God make us a region-changing church than be traditional. I'd rather do whatever it takes to see the revival than have tradition. That's it. Anybody with me on that? Okay. So pride, distraction, and tradition. Now, the last three things I want to share, and they all kind of go together. So those are the three things that will stop or hinder revival. But these are three things that will help you get into revival as individuals, but as a church, and these are things we need to value. So can I get that picture that I gave you guys? So this is a picture from the Azusa Street Revival. Now, the Azusa Street Revival... If some of you don't know, it started in 1906 and went to about 1915. It started in Los Angeles, California, but went all throughout the United States and it went around the world and really reignited the spirit-filled movement all across the world. Azusa Street is what started it. Now, of course, there was always remnants of people that that believed in the spirit-filled life and speaking in tongues especially the people that lived in Bible times. But as you know, after that, sometimes people can drift from truth. But there was always remnants of people that believed like the early church and they were spirit-filled and they believed in the power of God and they believed in speaking in tongues and they believed in the charismatic move of God. But we saw in 1906, there was a reawakening of the spirit-filled movement that has really changed the entire world the past 100 plus years. And now today, the biggest movement is Pentecostal churches. All of the biggest churches in the world are Pentecostal churches. All the most influential churches in the world are Pentecostal churches because they believe in what the Bible believes. But there was a man, and he's right in the middle, that African-American man named William Seymour who has the beard there. He was the pastor of Azusa Street Revival. He was the pastor who started the move of God in Azusa, which changed the world. But there's something that I was seeing when I saw this picture that I thought was important to share the rest of this service. And there are three things I saw about this picture that are values and important to the move of God and revival for us as a church. What I see here is this. I see that this is a multicultural picture. You realize in 1906, this was like illegal to take pictures like this. There's there's an African-American man, and there's a white woman, and there's an older man, and there's another African-American woman. And I see also there's not just men in this picture, there's women. But I also see there's generations in this picture. There's a little girl who is a part of Azusa Street Revival, but then there's an older man. There's people of all ages in here. So for the last little part of this message, I want to share with you about three things that are important to revival that we need as a church and we need to believe in. The first thing I want to talk about is if we're going to have the revival that God wants us to have, just like this picture, 
We're going to have to believe in men and women being used by God. Where, where, are, the, where are the men at on that one? Okay. Now, if God wants to have revival, we can't cut off half of his body and have revival. Now, once again, there's whole denominations because of pride and tradition. We don't believe in women leaders and women preachers and women being used of God. Why? Because of not the word, but because of tradition and pride. But if we're going to have a revival, like a real revival, we're going to have to value both men and women being leaders in the move of God. Just like this picture. And we need to especially value the women. Now, some of you are like, oh, pastor, you're just talking about this because this is in the culture today. Now, this has been in the Bible a long time. Yeah, the culture's talking about it too. But this is true. That the call of God is not just for men. It's for men and women working together to complete the plan of God. It says in the book of Acts, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy or preach or be used by God. Not just men, men and women. And a lot of times in the church world, because of pride, men have not let women preach. They have not let women lead. Because of pride. Because of tradition. They have not let women be a part of the move of God. They said, well, you're good enough to preach in the nursery, but you're not good enough to preach behind the pulpit. You're good enough to be on the cleanup team and fix the food in the kitchen, but you're not good enough to pray for people in the healing line. Well, I'm just flipping over every sacred cow this morning. I don't care. We need both men and women to complete the plan of God. To have the revival that God wants us to have just like this picture. Now, once again, women were not valued like they are today in 1906. But what happens when people come to God and the Spirit of God is moving, it breaks down gender barriers. It breaks down generational barriers. It breaks down racial barriers because God wants us to be all used in what he's doing. So it says your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So we need to honor both men and women for the move of God for revival to happen. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I was thinking about Joyce Meyer. Think about if she never preached. She's one of the greatest teachers alive today, and she's helped so many men and women by her books and by her teaching. One of the greatest teachers on the planet is Pastor Nancy Dufresne. Think about if she listened to some guy at a church who said, we don't believe it, and women preachers. And she just went by the pressure of society Things would look different the past 25, 30 years without her teaching in the body of Christ. We need both men and women being involved in this move. God believes in both men and women being used. And the people that don't think so are in pride or in tradition. Tradition because they took a scripture out of context and don't know how to study their Bible. But God wants us to all be used in what he's doing. Now, why am I saying that? Because not all of you are preachers. That's okay. I'm saying in this move of God, God wants to have men and women up here, but he needs to have men and women out here. And you are just as called 
to do something great for God, even if you're not behind a pulpit. At your job, in your family, with your husband or wife, wherever you go, in your neighborhood, the anointing of God is on you. And God wants to use both male and female to accomplish the will of God. And we need to have, now here's the key, we need to have both for revival to happen. And we need to value both. It's important. We should not compete with one another. We are meant to complement one another. How many know women have strengths? And they also have weaknesses. And men have strengths. And they also have weaknesses. And they're different. That's on purpose. God gave us each other. So without the other, we will be lacking in the body of Christ in the church with only one half of the body working. Are you getting this? I can't tell because you all have masks on. I have no idea what you're thinking or feeling or sensing. Just, I know I'm saying a lot today. Here's another thing I see in this picture. Multiple, multiple races and, and multicultural. That's, uh, that's important to revival. The Bible says that, that God's moving, and when we get to heaven, there will be every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every nationality, every culture, every race, every background, and we need all of them to fulfill the mission and plan of God. God is not coming back for a white church or a black church or a Hispanic church or an Asian church. He's coming back for his church. And his church looks like heaven. And heaven looks like every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every culture, every background. And that's the way our church should look too. And that's what I see in this picture. I see not just both men and women leading and moving with God, but I see different races, different cultures coming together to complete the plan of God because, once again, just like genders have different strengths, so do different races have different strengths. Different cultures bring different strengths to the church that the other one doesn't have. So if you just got one type of person in your church, you're missing a big part of what God wants to do. We need every type of culture and every type of race in our church. And I'm thankful for that, that, that we grew up, especially as a family in our house, we listened to all different people, not just white preachers, not just white music. We listened to people from all sorts of the body of Christ, and that helped us because they all have their strengths. And I'm thankful for people that are don't look like me or didn't come from the same background as me because some of the best preachers on the planet are African-American preachers. Some of the best music come from the black church. Some of, some of the most passionate followers of Jesus are Hispanic people. I know dad says he would rather go to Mexico and Latin America and Central America and South America more than any other place because their passion and love for God. We need that. In the same way, Asians and Russians and Europeans and everyone has their own strengths and gifts and graces and we need them all. Are you guys still here this morning? So this is what I see in this picture for revival. If we're going to have revival, we need men and women, but we need every race coming together because we all are strong in some area. I love that. But also in this picture, lastly, I see generations. I see a young lady in the front there, but I also see an old man behind her. You got people that are other ages in there, probably 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. The move of God that God wants to happen is a multi-generational movement. It's men and women, it's every race, but it's generations. We need that as a church for revival. That's essential. 
That's a healthy church. I don't just want to be a young church, and I don't want to just be an old church. I want to be the church. The church should look like a family. Should have some babies and some teenagers and some some young people, some young adults. It should have some 30s and 40s. It should have some grandmas and grandpas, some aunts and uncles. It should have some cousins. It should have a family atmosphere to it because that's a healthy church. Once again, we all bring our strengths. If we were all young people, we would have passion. Like your 33-year-old pastor. But if we were the only ones making decisions, we would have no wisdom. A <laughs> lot of passion, a lot of zeal. Let's sell the church. We, we probably shouldn't have done that. We don't have to pay taxes. Oh, sorry. We probably shouldn't have done that. No. But if we were just all older people in here, we would have a lot of wisdom. But we need a little more passion. We need each other. The passion and the wisdom of generations. And God wants to use all of us in here. This is one of the last things I'm, I'm going to say, and we're going to close. I know I've been going 57 minutes. Your preacher has been long-winded today. and I, I want to encourage you one last time with this. I want you to hear me very carefully. What God wants to do is men and women. God wants to use both of you in here. I want you to hear me very clearly, especially you women. Stop sitting on the sidelines. God wants to use you. Just as much as your husband, just as much as uh, another church leader that happens to be a man, no, God wants to you, use you. Not, not just in church, but even outside of church. God wants to use both men and women, both. Lest you guys are letting yourself off the hook saying, well, you know, I, I'm just not a part. I'm just going to kind of stand on the sidelines. No, no, we need you. I want to say the same thing with race. We need you. Every race, we need you. Every culture, we need you. And I pray every day, and I'm not joking about this. I pray every day that our church will be a more diverse church. I pray every day that God would send more people from more places around the world. I pray every day that we would stop looking so white some Sundays and start looking more like heaven. No offense to you white people. Come on, chill out. I'm white too. I love you, but we all need each other if you're hearing what I'm saying here. So no one's left out. Doesn't matter your race or culture. God wants to use you in this revival, but also he wants to use generations. And I want to say this about generations specifically before we close. Especially you older saints in here, more seasoned saints. If you're not in heaven, which you're not because you're here, God still wants you to be a vital part of this movement. Don't just say, well, the young people will do it. Well, the young married couples will do it. Well, the Corey group will do it. Well, the young people at church will do it. No. It's all of us together, both young and middle-aged and older. God wants to use you, and we need you in this revival, both passion and wisdom. And you might be retired from your job, but you're not retired from God. You might be retired from your job, but you're not retired from revival. You might be retired from your job, but you're not retired from church. You're not retired from your spiritual life. You actually got more time on your hands, so you should step it up. Not retire, but refire with what God wants you to do. And let the last 30 years of your life be more fruitful than the first 60 years of your life. That's the way it should be. 
Not sitting down in a nursing home complaining about your regrets in your life. You should be involved in the local church, helping and praying and serving and giving and being the most on fire person you can be. Not getting old and grumpy and tired and what God once did. Man, am I going to be invited back next week after preaching like this this Sunday? I scheduled myself next week. (laughs) We need you, though. I'm serious. Older generation in here, we need you. It's a lie of the devil for you to say, they don't need me anymore at church. I'm going to kind of back up on my giving. Kind of, kind of back up. and I'm not going to do ministry helps anymore because I'm, I'm older now. No, no, no. I'm going to kind of back up on my prayers. They, they, don't, they don't need me anymore. They don't need me to. No, we do. We need you now more than ever. Are you guys hearing my heart this morning? <laughs> I feel that strongly. That's why I'm staying on in a second. We need you. And you know in that verse we read about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? It says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That's, that means both male and female. That means every race and culture. That means young and old. And it says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. But then it says, your old men Come on out, somebody. And your younger men are both going to be walking in the supernatural together. Come on now, isn't that good? Your older men and your older women are going to still be seeing visions and dreams. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I just saw something there for a second. Come on, your older men and your older women. Not just your younger men and women. That's awesome. They're, they got plenty of time. But they're still going to be having a vision for their future. They're still going to be dreaming dreams. They're still going to be praying out things and prophesying things and seeing the move of God. And when they get older, they're going to see the things that they prayed out all those years. But we need them all. Can I get the praise team to come join me for a second? Whew. I appreciate you being here today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We're going to sing this song in a second. But I just want to remind us as we go, the three things that stop revival, pride, distraction, tradition. But three things that are important and essential in revival. God wants to use both male and female. God wants to use every race, multiracial church. God wants to use every generation. And when we have all three of those things, I wrote this down, we will have a healthy, sustainable revival. A lot of revivals start well, but they don't end well. Because they usually don't have all three of those things. But to have a healthy, sustainable revival, we need everyone being used by God everyone being a part, everyone realizing that they are necessary and essential, both men and women, every race, every generation, coming together with all their unique strengths and seeing the Spirit of God move and change the world around them. Did you guys get anything this morning? Thank you, Father. Well, let's stand up a second. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to sing. Father, we love you today, and we thank you today for your presence in here. We thank you, Father, 
that we are not going to be in pride. We're not going to walk in tradition. We're not going to live in distraction. But we're going to focus on you. Walk in humility. Want what you have for us more than anything else. Father, I pray that you would stir up people this morning, maybe some people who felt left out, maybe some people who felt like we don't need you anymore, some people that felt like, you know, God doesn't have anything for me. God wants to use other people in revival. But, Father, you placed a new spirit in them today. You've given them a new strength today, a new encouragement knowing that they are necessary. They're essential to what God wants to do in revival. I pray a special blessing upon them and in them that you would even speak to them in the days and weeks ahead about their part and what you want to do, not just at church, but in their daily walk and the life they live outside these four walls. Thank you, Father. You can do it. You can do it. Father, we pray right now that you'd help us to be a church that always values generations, church that always values different races and cultures, church that always values both men and women, that they're both equally called and can lead and can preach and can do whatever you called them to do. Pray that we'd be that kind of church. We'd be that kind of church. And we thank you for it today.